It's me. It's me. It's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. And by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws. And you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. Realize that you can watch all of the shit that's out there. Don't let either company trick you into thinking it's a us versus them thing. Just enjoy the wrestling. Whether it's WWE or AEW or NXT, you guys don't have to choose. You can f- watch it all. That's rad. Fight forever, Guardian! I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Welcome, gentlemen and ladies. Please forgive my garb. I am celebrating. Our late arrival here to the HIAC Talk Radio Nation because my hometown team just won their inaugural 2020-2021 basketball game. My hometown 76ers, as it were, hence the uh, the garb, the uh, black hooded sweatshirt, and the mask. But uh, don't let that detract you. Don't let my visage distract you from the goodness we are about to bring unto you. Our loyal fans that have been with us uh, week in and week out, uh, for the most part, this entire horrible, ugly, no good, dirty, rotten year. So uh, we're gonna we're going to start with our the segment that you know you would think for a year like this we're not going to dwell on it. You got to look back, but we're going to look back to a time when it was fun to dwell on the sport that we know of professional wrestling back when it consumed every state in the union and there was wrestling in all 50 states. And not only did they call titles belts back then, and not only was it a a title shot, not a title opportunity. And not only were they not, they were hospitals, not medical facilities, but folks, I'm going to take you back to a time when the most important nights of the year in professional wrestling were on Christmas Day. 
that was a rite of passage in this for most of the south the the mid-atlantic area in particular made their hay on their holiday wrestling shows both thanksgiving and christmas that's how starcade started kids because of the sellout crowds the turn away thousands we turned away they would have their thanksgiving or christmas dinner in this case early put on their jackets mom dad and the kids get in the car and go down to the arena to watch their favorite stars every year on christmas so that's part of what i'm going to talk about in the story and there are also a couple of dates here that i wanted to uh uh relay on to you but Gentlemen and ladies, let me just preface this by saying this is a wrestling historian. And joining me, uh, like he's been joining me, or I've been joining him since we started this uh, facade oh so many years ago, but uh, my toucan Sam, my pots and pans, my man with the plan, the one, the only man in my life right now on this podcast, Dan, the man, Kalachiko. I am the only one, and you are my only one. Well, thank you. Mark is part of the family. Mark has taken off. For, he's on special assignment for the rest of the year. Yes, he will be you. back. Um, it was nice to have. It's nice to have uh, the three of us. But it's nice to to reminisce back. Uh, yeah, I keep trying to get Dean on just to have him and I on just to right. You know, do a an old school one. But every now and then, it's nice to just be like, you know what? Craig and I are just going to talk for a little while. Exactly. You know, I I want to point this out before this is this technically is wrestling historian mm-hmm. that right there I see is a WCW German tour poster from the year two thousand. Holy crap! And it is signed by Daphne, which is what makes it special. Wow! Not, yes, not, not the terrible photoshops on it because <laughs> it isn't actually it's actually terribly photoshopped. <laughs> but Daphne signed it. That's all I care about. Well, just having Sting and Bret Hart on the same poster. That's, that is nice. Sid's on there. Nice. Jeff's on there. It's a screenshot from a Nitro. Vito's on there. Uh, <laughs> two random Nitro girls. Is it Fire and Tigers? Yeah, Fire and Ice. Fire, Tigers, and uh, uh, Spice. Uh, the Harris Brothers. One nasty boy, Brian Nobbs, because he was the only one there. Kevin Nash. Yeah. Henry. What's funny about it, and you can't see it here, it actually, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, it's only half his face. Oh, oh okay. It's, only half his, it's the worst. <laughs> it's uh, I, I, it's, I, Daphne signed it, so I had to have it, but it's the yeah. fact that Jeff Jarrett, you see that much of Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> like he was on his way out. Or just, you know, everybody. They can, they, can, they can only afford half of them. Everybody. And Jim Duggan, who wasn't even part of a, I don't know, that company don't was know. so screwed up and damn. But anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Take it back quick before I talk for well, another hour. Well, you know, before before the day of the World Championship Wrestling, it was uh, the NWA and and more importantly NWA Mid Atlantic, and we're going to get to that in a second. But I'm going to look back on some uh, some uh, key dates in professional wrestling in this week in wrestling history. Uh, this goes back actually. This is a tie-in to last week's wrestling historian. On the last one, on last episode of Wrestling Historian, uh, we talked about the death of the greatest Japanese or most influential Japanese wrestler of all time, Ricky Dozan, 
Yeah. Uh, a, when he uh, passed away in uh, 1963. But uh, on December 22nd, in 1954, that self-same Ricky Dozan defeated Masahiko Kimura, the inventor of the Kimura lock. I was going to say, wait a second. Yes. <laughs> and Ricky Dozan and Masahiro uh, Kimura were both opponents and tag team uh, and would team up. And actually, their match of uh, Kimura and uh, Ricky Dozan against the Sharp brothers, Ben and Mike Sharp, no relation to Iron, um, but they uh, their tag team matches were the beginning of the Japanese television um, renaissance that uh, gets that started uh, with them. With the Sharp Brothers were the first tag American tag team to wrestle in Japan uh, as heels, and got o- got over so much that their their matches on television were shown in shop windows, and huh. streets were crowded with people wanting to see them. Wow. Well. Um, this particular match between Ricky Dozan and Kimura uh, was to decide the first and only Japanese heavyweight championship. This will be the first Japanese heavyweight championship title ever. Uh, and they hadn't, they just started forming leap, a league because of the popularity of Ricky Dozan and Masahiro uh, Kimura. And what was supposed to happen was they were going to have a draw and then have a series of bouts uh, around Japan. But it didn't go according to plan. Some were even calling this the first shoot fight in, uh, in wrestling, or in at least in Japanese wrestling history. Uh, Ricky's, uh, Ricky Dozan's uh, finishing maneuver was the chop, and he was supposed to hit uh, Kimura on the head, but instead he chopped him right in the neck, stiff, really hard, and Kimura went down, like unconscious. And the referee had to call the bout, and it was a reward, a knockout. So Ricky Dozan was awarded the championship. Kimura never got a rematch. And Ricky Dozan would hold that, the Japanese heavyweight championship, from, 19, from December 22nd, 1954, until 1958. Wow. When they had to retire the title, when he defeated Luthez for the NWA International belt, that wow. was in Los Angeles, and uh, Kimura never forgot that. And some say he held a grudge, even to the point where some even speculated that the stabbing of Ricky Dozan was somehow set up by Kimura. Interesting. Because the knife used to stab Ricky Dozan was soaked with urine. That's that's right. That's a uh, that's an old technique. Yeah. To uh, so which which seems to um, indicate premeditation that this wasn't an accident that Ricky accidentally stepped on mm-hmm. some guy's foot or some guy stepped on his foot. Mm-hmm. That this was a um, and Kimura was always bitter about it, but. It was never proven or disproven that he had anything to do with Ricky Dozan's murder. But uh, December 22nd, 1954, a huge day in Japanese wrestling history. Ricky Dozan, again, the most influential wrestler in Japanese history, won the first and only Japanese heavyweight championship. Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, and staying on today in uh, wrestling history, uh, happy 58th birthday to uh, a guy when I first saw him on that self-same WCW that you were just talking about and a clash of the champions. I became an instant mark for, and I've followed his career ever since. And through different variations, he still managed to keep the same charisma and just the, uh, his, his dynamic ability throughout all of his different personas, even though he's never said a word. Happy 58th birthday to Kiji Muto, the great Muda. Man, there that is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. The great great Muda is just a a phenomenon. Yeah. He's the first moonsault I ever saw. He's the uh, first moonsault I ever saw, yeah. He's the first guy that I ever saw flip in on the t- over the top rope into the into the ring. Uh his combination with Gary Hart, his wars with Sting, were first show was that was that uh, I was like huh? yeah. <laughs> when it's retrospective yeah. you go look back and you go what did I see yeah uh y- yeah he was the most dynamic thing I'd ever seen in professional wrestling period when he debuted on the uh, the Clash of Champions uh, under the undercard of the uh, Steamboat Flare two out of three falls match in uh, at the Superdome. Uh, managed by Gary Hart, and of course their match at he and Sting had a Great American Bash '89, yeah. uh, classic. He came in undefeated, you know, and it stayed that way for a while. He got over so much. There was there was talk of changing him to a face, <laughs> but uh, wow, which could have. But again, what? But without Gary Hart, because you know, because Muda didn't speak, which is what made him so effective. He was Sting before he was Sting. Yeah, you know, just not not talking. Uh, but and he would have made a great face, but he but Muda was a guy, especially back then, and needed a manager. And just the and the mist and the and I'd seen the great Kabuki in Georgia Championship Wrestling with the with the mist, and I uh, the, I guess kayfabe that was supposed to be this he was the son of um of the great Kabuki, right? Um. But I hadn't heard that rumor. I, yeah, just yeah. assumption. But you're the only other person that kind of confirmed it. But he was brought into the uh, the WCW, and also because Gary Hart managed um, the Great Kabuki, and that he had right. the the father and son combination. But Kabuki. where where Kabuki was a small guy, had the long hair, didn't have the greatest the, the the greatest body in the world. But his kicks, he had a, he his super kick was. Legendary because he didn't hop; he just stood on one leg and just took your head. <laughs> yeah, and he had a high kick. Uh, but again, not physically. Uh, but he had great feuds with Dusty Rhodes, with Tommy Rich, with Junkyard Dog, and he was a money-making heel because no one had ever seen anything like him, especially when he came in the ring with the Kabuki masks, and he was, and he had the dual nunchucks. Um, great entrance, but again, Gary Hart. Uh, the mind of Gary Hart and always again my top in my top five managers of all time and what he and he him getting Muda over because in the, the his biggest bout was the uh, Great American Bash with Sting and he never appeared on camera. Gary Hart did all the talking for him to Gordon Soley and he was just as over as if he had if Muda had given the uh, the interview himself. Yeah, I, I just went through I don't I didn't remember it this way, but I just went through 
a couple months ago, I, you know, I've gone through, it started slowing down now. Cause as you get to 92 mm-hmm. superstars and Saturday night have all been uploaded to the WWE network. So it is a slow burn now. Yeah. But the first three years of, uh, you know, the eighties and nineties mm-hmm. burned through it quick, but they were showing vignettes almost every show leading up every, not almost every show leading up to uh, his debut. And again, mm-hmm. he, Gary Hart would say stuff, and then the rest of it was just Muda, yeah. just footage of Muda. Yeah, and the, you don't understand. You know, this is a big mm-hmm. deal, and I, you know, it still has that big deal feeling about it. Exactly. And then I almost broke this when I was <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. No. But um, and yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that Kabuki didn't have a great body. <laughs> Muda kind of looked. Muda didn't age. No. He still looks the same as he did in 89. Yeah. Um, I, I think he, I don't think he's officially retired. I think he's semi-retired. Like, like mm-hmm. uh, another guy I thought that would never retire. Um, Liger. Yeah. Jushin, I yeah. thought he was going to stay around forever. And he finally officially retired last year. I say finally, but not like happily. Finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Muda, I assumed was going to wrestle forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, I get and like when I like I said when I when I introduced him, he was always reinventing himself. You know, uh, not just with the makeup, but when he shaved his head and yeah. you know when he was part of the Japanese NWO and he was still a very influential uh, figure there and still you know very popular in 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 Japan and in both all Japan and New Japan, he uh, made a, a name for himself, which is very hard to do. Usually, if you come from one to the other, you're not always welcome, but he had such high respect uh, from both companies, from both Inoki and Baba, that he uh, uh, wrestled for for both of them. But um, yeah, he was one of the those guys that you. I remember the first time I saw him, and I was just wowed. And that has never gone away. Uh, I he was still uh, one of the greatest debuts I ever saw, and the most um, eye-catching uh, wrestler that I've ever seen. Everything that we take for granted now Muda did it first again the first moonsault I ever saw the the handspring elbow the vaulting into the over the flip the head flip over the great little like snap elbow and it looked yeah and that's the thing about Muda I'm sorry go ahead Craig no but when on all the the uh the the WWF video games you can create your own wrestler and I'd always create and Muda's Drop yeah, I would always do the elbow absolutely I would do two running I would do two elbow drops I would do uh, my wrestler was always going to be a mixture of Muda and Sting. It always has mm-hmm. been and always will be when I create a wrestler. So he does both the Muda elbow and then Sting's jumping elbow. Right. This does look good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing about, um, we always talk about how good wrestlers look and how smooth. I don't know how to say this without, because I don't, obviously don't mean this out of the way we've been talking about Muda this entire time. I don't mean this disrespectfully. Uh, Muda didn't look perfect. He looked like he was arrested. He was fighting. Yeah, it wasn't smooth as glass. Mm-mm. It looked like he was a guy beating the shit out of somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and you know, it's not unlike a, a well. For most Japanese wrestlers, they're not ripped. They just look like you know they look like wrestlers. You know they look you know they look like guys that can legitimately beat you with their hands or their feet. And or as Jim Ross said, the educated feet of the great Muda. Yeah. Um, 
get to get tear you apart. But uh, 58 years old today. Happy birthday. My my final point is is I always appreciate it, even towards the decline. Mm-hmm. Let me rephrase that. Even towards the decline and after the decline of WCW, just to yeah. put, put a finer point on it, mm-hmm. uh, they would still bring Muda back in. Yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff of Vampiro, him and Sting again in the late mm-hmm. 2000, in mid to late 2000. Yeah. And I'd always be happy because I'm like, well, I just gonna be here for two weeks. He'd be around for two or three months. I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I stopped watching during the the period in the the 2000. Did Sting and Muda ever team? No, it was gonna be the feud was gonna be if I remember correctly. I'm sure Muda and Sting have teamed. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot. I don't remember. Okay. But in those later days, like it was literally Sting, Vamp- um, it was Muda, Vampiro, and the Demon, mm-hmm. uh, always against Sting for a little while right. there. Yeah. Welcome back, Nico. And um, hey, Nico. yeah, I always because it was originally it was like, oh, Sting's going to mentor Vampiro, mm-hmm. then it, uh, Vampiro fucking yeah, him over, yeah. like, like everybody fucked Sting over. Well, that's how you get he. He became the the chief J Strong or the Dusty Rhodes. If you want a current heel, we have to you turn on thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen so many times, but uh, it has to be a good turn, not just for the sake of turning, which is what Dusty did, and with um, Chief J Strongwell. Uh, but happy birthday, uh, the Great Muda! And looking ahead. Uh, this week is uh, Christmas weekend. What I said at the beginning of the Wrestling Historian. How the the holiday of Christmas was traditionally the biggest money maker, biggest money making event for several territories. Uh, and I'm just gonna throw some out during the during the years and some of the great influential things that happened on Christmas Day. Christmas Day, 1978, in the Superdome, uh, they had 15,900 fans. Uh, which was a $78,000 house at the time, which would translate into, uh, I think, $135,000 right now. But that was the Christmas Day Tag Team Tournament to crown a new United States Tag Team Champions. And in the final round, the team of Ernie Ladd and Stan Hansen lost to the team of Dusty Rhodes and Andre the Giant. All right, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say what? What? You're like who oh. could beat these? Oh, those guys. Dusty okay. <laughs> Rhodes in the outro. Oh, okay. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, Ernie Ladd and Stan Hansen. Yes, one. No, they lost to Andre and and Dusty. And okay, Andre, I'll give it okay. to you. <laughs> and that would be the only tag team championship Andre the Giant ever won. Well, I'm sorry, second. He he and Haku were the WWF tag team champions. But that would be let that be the first tag team title that they ever won. And it was on the cover of a lot of magazines of Andre and and Dusty with the belt and Andre wearing the belt upside down. Um, But the fact that it could fit around his waist was the the most important thing. Speaking of the aftermaths, after is uh, officially part of the OC Nation Network. Um, Perfect. I, Bob, as you know, Bob Ryder died this past uh, two weeks ago. God rest his soul. Yeah, it's a 
I would say wrestling legend, but legendary yeah. in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ryder and After have been partners and ran that website for a good 25 years. And mm-hmm. that was over. It was, I mean, it was going to go away. That Ryder passed and VOC reached out to After and After was like, yeah. So Raptor does, uh, funny enough, Raptor? Raptor does. <laughs> the Raptor, there's a dinosaur. Um <laughs> He does that wrestling, uh, the wrestling history, uh, wrestling with history. Yeah. uh, With uh, Resnick. Okay. And uh, now that I'm talking, like, I got to get you hooked up with after. Yes. Hopefully he'll remember me from the Chris Jericho book signing where I marked out more for him than I did for Jericho. And we talked for for a good 20 minutes. People Um, have to understand, like, uh, Nico's a little bit younger, mm a little bit. A lot younger than both of us. <laughs> Not just you, Craig. Ouch. Um, and I, before 2000, mm-hmm. and I'll say, and I'll give you five more years, 2005, when broadband was regularly available. Yeah. It was hard to get wrestling news unless you were buying magazines. Exactly. And as you and I have explained before, not to, I don't want to go off track too much, just a quick version of it. Mm-hmm. The after mags, even when I was a kid, even into the 2000s, even yeah, the after all the mags, including the after mags, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as you go through the years, there's fewer and fewer. Mm-hmm. Um, that was how you found out what cards happened that last month you missed everywhere else. Exactly. You know? it, it's crazy to think that years. It's crazy to think mm-hmm. that all these years after is still doing his thing and every now and then i'll see him pop up at shows you know before covid of course and like, hey, yeah there's bill <laughs> uh yeah uh bill after uh more than anything is the reason why i'm a professional wrestling fan uh the tvs were brought me in but bill after's magazines is what told the story about that filled in all the blanks mm-hmm. because i'm at, the first time i saw dusty Rhodes was on championship wrestling from florida you know 1977 who is this guy and then i pick up the bill after wrestling magazines and think oh that's who he is and i see him i see him beating up guys that i'm seeing on wwf tv that are like challenging bruno and then running through these these squash matches and and (laughs) dusty's like i just watched bobby duncan go to main event with bruno and then i look at championship wrestling from florida and Dusty Rose is like throwing him outside the ring and picking him up and throwing him out the other side and, you know, taking down Ernie Ladd and all these like, wow. And then the bleeding, he's bleeding a gut and the, the pictures, you know, and I didn't know these things existed. Um, I was watching the Blackjacks. Uh, they were one of the first tag team champions I saw. And I remember watching Mulligan uh, and, and, you know, it's something with tag teams, no matter what the tag team is, one of them always stands out. In the Hart Foundation, it was always Brett. You know, Harley yeah. Heat, it was always Booker. Um, and the and the Blackjacks, all going all, even though they were the same height, same weight, looked exact same, same handlebar mustache, Mulligan just had something. And it wasn't until the After Magazines that I found out that this guy, when he went to the Mid-Atlantic on his own, was the number one heel and the number one monster heel in that company. Yeah. <laughs> so much so, Dan back to my original point on christmas day in the mid-atlantic area he 
and Paul Jones wrestled for the United States Heavyweight Championship on back-to-back years on Christmas night at the Charlotte Coliseum, selling out two Christmases in a row. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, for the for the United States Heavyweight Championship. Uh, because the Mid-Atlantic made their bread and butter on Christmas Day uh, shows, just like, you know, Superdome did in 1978. And on that same date, Mulligan and Jones fought for the United States Championship. But a year later, in 1979, Mulligan and Jones fought the United States Championship in the main event. Uh, Jim Brunzel regained the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship from Ray Stevens. He lost it to Ray Stevens on Thanksgiving, and he regained it from Ray Stevens on Christmas night. Uh, the first time uh, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood won their tag, the first tag team NWA tag team titles against Paul Jones again and Baron Von Raschke on Christmas night, and that's all the people need to know. <laughs> but Christmas night was a spectacular was again one of the biggest things that happened in wrestling was on christmas night in in stadiums all around the world particularly in the south but probably well, i can't say christmas night now if you grew up in the mid-atlantic and the carolinas uh you know about how christmas night was always a big deal in it in, in uh charlotte coliseum or the norfolk scope or even in, the, on the, in atlanta or greensboro yes but Christmas in Texas was a completely different yes. mindset. Two words. Because... <laughs> Star Wars. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the world-class Christmas Star Wars edition. Because every, you have to understand, it was weekly in the Sportatorium. They had wrestling shows weekly. So every single week, you had to have a different angle or a storyline coming through to get people into the crowd and to get people coming back and you know you create new stars you you know you bring in new stars and you get the fans invested and just in good storytelling but once a year at the end of the year they would culminate all their feuds because they would have enough people to fill up the reunion arena in Dallas 16,000 folks Right across the street from the sportatorium, by the way. Yes, which is the size of five sportatoriums. Yeah. (laughs) And you can stick them all in there. And that's when they would have their big Star Wars extravaganza. And more often, well, uh, it became a tradition that the NWA champion would come to Texas, world-class Star Wars, to defend the NWA championship. And every year, it almost became a uh, a uh, a running uh, gag or a Christmas story. And lo, Ric Flair did dwell in the valley in the shadow of the Von Erichs. Well, he, he walks in the shadow of the valley of the Von Erichs. Everybody every, did in the South. But every Christmas, Ric Flair knew he was going to Dallas, Texas. Yep. <laughs> Period. And then as, and as the NWA champion, you're known all around the world. And there's holiday cards going on in different parts of the South. And you're Christmas. in Texas. <laughs> but you're in Texas because you're the NWA champion. And more importantly, you're Ric Flair. And out of all the Christmas Star Wars that – and the tradition was, you know, never bigger than in 1982 where it all went down. 
not only was that, this was that a Christmas show? That was the Christmas show, I, Dan. That, that I just blew my mind and never put to. I've seen the documentary. I've seen the match. I've seen all of this a hundred times, and it just oh, that was on Christmas. <laughs> Christmas Day, nineteen eighty-two. Eighteen thousand in Texas, a record gate for the reunion arena at that time. It not only was it the debut of the Freebirds as faces, it was the debut of the world class six man tag team championship. And it was gonna be decided on one side it was Tom Steele. And Mike and Tom Sharp, no relation to the other Sharp brothers I mentioned at the beginning of the historian. <laughs> the other but Sharps. They, they would be going against Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. Unfortunately, their the Freebird partner, Buddy Roberts, couldn't make the show. God damn it. And Michael Hayes said, we'll take them on two on three. We don't care. Much to the delight of the Texas fans because they like these guys. <sighs> they came in as faces. They were well. friends of... Uh, of uh of david because he had um uh, and and kevin who had known uh michael he would team that with michael hayes in georgia <laughs> so on his recommendation let's bring the Freebirds in thank you gary hart <laughs> but uh since they couldn't make it and and michael said we'll take them on two on three but who should walk down the aisle to volunteer to be the Freebirds' third man for the six-man tag team championship but one David Von Erich. So they would have the match, and David Von Erich would end up getting the pin, getting the win for his team. And it was... So the very first world-class six-man tag team champions were Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and David Von Erich. But the seeds were planted because when David scored the pin, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy were hugging each other, jumping up and down, raising their hands like they did all the work. And David was over in the corner looking at them celebrating when he was the one that scored the pin. But he said, it's okay. And in the post-match interview, he said to the guys, uh, I know Buddy Roberts is your brother, so I'm going to give up my half, my third of the World Six-Man Tag Team Championship. And when Buddy Roberts get here, that title is his. And Michael, oh, man, you're too much. You're too much. So all is good. Now we get time for the main event. <laughs> Kerry Von Erich against the NWA heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. Now, people have been calling Flair a coward because he always got himself disqualified. Because he is. Counted out, ran out of the ring, whatever, to save him. But this time, this was a steel cage match. So that's not going to be any running, no running, no hiding, no ducking, no diving, Flair, in Kerry Von Erich's words. I'm coming after you, and I'm coming after that belt. But to ensure that there'll be no funny business, Michael Hayes, now one-third of the six-man tag team champions, said, I'm going to be in the cage as a special enforcer and make sure no funny business goes around. And my brother, Terry Gordy, is going to be the keeper of the key. So if Flair tries to run, he's going to make sure he don't run nowhere. And he'll be there to open the door for the winner of the bout. Open the door. Open the door. So you got Michael Hayes inside, Terry Gordy outside, and the match goes. 
Carrie and Rick had their standard Carrie Von Eric Rick Flair match. Great. Great. And you know, Dan, we were talking about Sting, um, your favorite, and uh why and a while back you said, you know, this is Sting any good? And I was like, Yes, because what Rick Flair had in Sting was the muscle bound baby face that he could bounce off of, sell for, get gorilla press slams that he hadn't had since Carrie. Yeah. Because Carrie was the one that could do all that and look good doing it. You know, bouncing off a of flare, no selling his chops, you know, getting gorilla press slammed, whatever. And during the bout, uh, things are going Carrie's way. And when Flair tried to cheat, Michael Hayes was right there to put the kibosh on him. But when Carrie uh, wouldn't break, even though it was a cage match, Hayes would kind of grab Carrie by the air and pull him off and say, you know, let's keep it clean, even though we're in a cage match. And Flair got tired of Hayes getting in the way, and he shoved Hayes, and Hayes decked him with that lethal left hand that we would know from Michael Hayes later. Down goes Flair. Down goes Flair. Down goes Flair. <laughs> Down goes Flair. <laughs> he tells Carrie, pin him. Carrie says no. And he shoves Carrie, get on him, pin him. And Carrie says, no, I'm not doing it. And Hayes, you know, at, even at the, at the insistence of Terry Gorey, come on, Michael, come on. And Hayes throws his arms up in disgust and walks away. Carrie follows Michael, trying to explain his side. When Ric Flair knees Carrie in the back, causing Carrie to go into Michael Hayes and knock Michael Hayes out of the ring. Carrie reaching out to the outside the cage, trying to tell Michael, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And just then, Terry Gordy would start, would invent the most copied cage match spot in professional wrestling history. That's still copied to this day, 38 years later. Oh, Terry, God. He's so me. Terry Gordy would slam the cage door on Kerry Von Eric on the head of Kerry Von Eric. Kerry would go flying back, play to the gusher, was ruled unable to continue. Ric Flair would retain the NWA championship. You son of a bitch, Flair. It's your fault. And not only did Flair retain the NWA championship. And not only did that start the most copied spot in cage match history, but it ignited the Freebirds versus Von Erich feud that would go on for another two years, three to be exact. But the Freebirds versus the Von Erich dominated world class and all the professional wrestling for the entire entirety of 1983 into 1984 before the tragic death of David Von Erich. But the Freebirds versus Von Erich still, uh, to me, uh, the one of the greatest, you know, I said top five, in my top five greatest wrestling feuds of all time, if not only for the amount of crowds they drew, the amount of money they drew, the amount of heat they drew, but it not only put world class on the map to the point where it was the most watched wrestling program in North America 
uh, but it made the Freebirds instant national stars. And uh, had things gone not or not gone awry, world class could have been the one to make the leap into national yeah. uh, prominence because they had already been syndicated in several in here in the East Coast and in New York and Connecticut and was branching out into the West, you know, uh, and who knows where that could have taken uh, to the point where uh, in Vince McMahon has made no secret. It, alternatives for Hulk Hogan, one of them was Kerry Von Erich because he fit the bill of what he was looking for. A young, great-looking superstar with a magnificent body that had the charisma that could carry it. But uh, it all started, and you know, when you look back at it now, and I'm asking you, HIAC Talk Radio fans, if you've never seen the cage match spot from Christmas Day, 1982, at the Reunion Arena, uh, it wouldn't. It would be a lot more epic if Terry Gordy didn't slam the door so hard that he fell on his ass right after he did it. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it didn't take away from the uh, the moment of it, or the uh, the uh, the spot, or the historical significance. But of all the Christmas matches and all the the years. Throughout the many decades of professional wrestling, the Christmas tradition of professional wrestling is a long, rich, and storied one. But I have to go back to 1982, world-class Star Wars, Reunion Arena, Flair versus Kerry Von Erich, the beginning of the Freebirds-Von Erich war that changed professional wrestling and world-class forever. And that, friends is the wrestling historian. It was a perfect ending, Craig. And, and I, wanted, I wanted to get right into this right after you said that, because um, mm-hmm. it's also going to connect into uh, what I want to talk about after this. Uh, for, for younger wrestling fans, like Nico, he's been talking to me the entire time we've been uh, talking, you know, the wrestling historian, and he's been listening and loving the stories you tell. That's one of the reasons why I'm glad we do this show, because somebody young like Nico, <laughs> no, no, will will ask me, where do I find this? And I'll either link him or I'll just send him a YouTube video or, or send him the file for him or her, or whoever listens to this in general. I love when they hear that and they go, wait, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, you got to see this. <laughs> and yeah. uh, like we introduced Nico to the Jericho Cruiserweight Battle Royal Malenko. Oh, finish. yeah. He was, Nico was there listening when we were talking about it and, like, where do I find this? And I'm like, hold on, let me find the good. Here you go. Yeah. And he came back to me a couple of days later. Like, That's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I told you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, no, I was just he's comparing Flair. We talk about Flair and the greats and the Von Erich and how great that was. And mm-hmm. he's explaining that you know when he when Nico was growing up watching wrestling, John Cena for him. Yeah. Okay. That's your champion, absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about how. Uh, for other reasons, don't take uh, any offense to this, Craig. I kind of hope John Cena beats <laughs> Ric Flair's title thing. Okay. If not to uh, piss off wrestling fans on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I like Cena. I, and everybody's got the six moves of dudes. And he, he does the same thing all the time. I'm like, yeah, like every other. Hello? Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, but we're, we're talking about uh, world class and flair and that moment that is a moment that is one of those moments you can bookmark that Mm -hmm. changed wrestling 
Yes. As you mentioned at the end of the segment, it, it was one of those things that changed the course. Ric Flair was the catalyst of that thing. They made, I want to reiterate again, because I laugh at, uh, I, I don't care if Alvarez thinks I'm disrespecting him. Fuck him. Um, I see, I laugh at people like Brian Alvarez who every week or every day are like, this is the ratings tonight. And I'm like, these ratings don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and they do, but not in the sense that Twitter thinks they matter. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned Christmas Star Wars, and you mentioned how people, their day was playing Christmas Day yeah. in the South. And we're talking about Mid-Atlantic, Crockett, Georgia. world-class Georgia. Was yeah. Christmas was planned around these shows. Yes. doesn't happen anymore. And when I tell you, why I laugh at people talk about ratings on a Wednesday night during a pandemic versus the ratings world-class alone got. Mm -hmm. It's just <laughs> laughable to me. This moment, I can't understand. I couldn't oversell how important, how big this was. The ratings that WMC TV channel five in Memphis, Tennessee got on Saturday mornings surpassed the moon landing weekly. The amount of people watching those, those Saturday morning in Memphis every week, more people were watching that were, were watching wrestling than saw the moon landing every Nico, week. Nico goes, wow, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, dude, it's the number. And I understand this. I, I, in a way it helps because it helps ignite. The competition, mm -hmm. yeah, between the two shows, but I see nine hundred and fifty-eight thousand versus seven hundred forty-eight thousand, or whatever the hell. Oh, Sting finally helped him break a million. I'm like, as I said last week, those are the same numbers that got WCW kicked off TNT. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, no, just which is going to go into my next conversation. Um, mm -hmm. I just, if you wanted to piggyback off that, if not, I think I said everything. But again, I can't understate. If you could find this, and Nico, I'll do the same as I did for the Slambury 98 thing. I will try to find an edited or. <laughs> Hold on, this is wrestling related. I'll try to find an edited or complete version of that moment at uh, that Christmas Star Wars in 82, because the sound that Cage makes against his skull yeah. is. Yeah. Earth shattering, and it, 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 the cage door was like a swinging fence you would have on. Wham! Like, yeah, it's not like the heavy cage doors we have now. This was a this was mesh fence, mesh fencing, and it was and it had a uh, a horseshoe lock on it and a deadbolt. So it was to make yeah that sound was incredible. Echo, it echoed off the reunion yeah. arena walls. And this was a sold-out arena. <laughs> yeah. And fans are crying when this happened. And when, trying when, to kill the Freebirds. Exactly. When Carrie couldn't. And these are the same fans that were cheering the Freebirds like 20 minutes earlier. Kill him! <laughs> you did what to Carrie? You son of a bitch! Kill him! <laughs> must die. Uh, so my mom just texted me. Hey, Mom. She goes, is wrestling on tonight? <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah. Yeah, Wednesday. She goes, and she just, the text back, I don't know if I could, the text back is STING in capital letters. <laughs> capital letters. 
Yes, Rob, I'm aware. Thank you. Uh, oh, good mom. Thank you, mom. Thank you, mom. Yeah, good mom. Mom, she knows, would, she knows what her baby likes. Mom supported me watching wrestling. She, you know, when I was able, she she would go to shows. Uh, my aunt would go to shows, or they would find somebody who you know who I was friends with. Kid, take him, take, get him to the shows, please. Yeah. Um. Uh, but. Mm-hmm. Like she dropped me off at ECW Arena. I'm like, no, mom, it's yeah. fine. And I'm, if she knew, oh gosh, <laughs> he knew. I mean, I'm sure she did knew. No, no, she trusted me. Uh, I don't think she was worried about me. Oh, I love Sting, Nico. I love Sting. Uh, we mentioned it that week, and uh, I won't talk about it again because we talked about it already. But I, I'm happy and not happy he's back. As long as they stay the way they're doing it, very happy he's back. Um, but. She would not watch wrestling until mm-hmm. Foley and Nash. Wow. Oh, she loved Foley, but she loved Kevin Nash. Oh, okay. It was like that. Gotcha. She she would be, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, she's like, she would tell her uh, husband, my stepfather, if he comes to the door, you're done. Mm-hmm. That's my past. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> we, we, have sim- we have similar moms because my mom uh, indulged my wrestling um, whims and whimsy. Uh, to the point where I we go to the drugstore, and that's the only place that sold wrestling magazines. So I'd pick one up and I'd run to my mom and I'd you know beg her to buy. Can you get this for me? And it's only a dollar. Then he does for me. And the way my mom tells the story. So I'm in line at the drugstore and my son comes up with a magazine with two half naked men covered in blood and wants me to buy it. And everyone's looking at me and like while he's waving around this magazine with two half naked men covered in blood and it was dusty and superstar and of course if i don't of course if i don't do it then i'm the worst mom on earth and if i do do it i'm the worst mom on earth because i let my son read a magazine with two half naked men covered in blood on it mom it's not like that no and when my dad couldn't make it or my dad promised me to go to wrestling match and he didn't or he he didn't come through my mom took me and even dragged my brother-in-law brother along because he was too young to stay in the house by himself which my brother really didn't like so uh it was because of my mom i saw i got to see hulk hogan's first ever match at the spectrum uh february 1984 this was three weeks after he won the uh the belt uh from the iron Sheik, um and also the debut of the Freebirds in uh in philly that's uh, nuts two years after but uh my but because my dad promised and he couldn't he couldn't make it but so i went with my mom but yes yeah, so it's great to have a uh, similar moms that indulge our uh, <laughs> our whimsies on text me <laughs> so she goes staying and i go how are you watching this she goes not by choice uh her her roommate came home and put it on i was sitting in the living room and then she's like then she was like sting that's sting? <laughs> I was like you got there and then she said sting is sting god damn right mom see yeah. States away, and she's like, hey, that's all Sting. My grandmother used to call me. She hated wrestling. Yeah. Hated that my mom let me watch wrestling and go to wrestling shows until mm-hmm. a gentleman by the name of Rocky Maivia mm-hmm. was called The Rock at the time. Yeah. Mama Ligons is awesome, says Sheldon's mommy. Uh, she would call me every Thursday when SmackDown was on. Go, are you watching the show with The Rock? 
Like, yes, I'm watching the show with her. But she would have to call me every week to make sure I was watching her man. Can and I'm gonna tell you the power of uh of Rocky Maivia because this is back when in the heydays of ninety ninety eight through two thousand where um I had a, I actually had guys at a time, and me and the guys would uh, get together and watch pay-per-views and have a big spread party and stuff like that. And, of course, some of the guys would bring their girlfriends, and they all thought it was stupid, so they would all be in the kitchen talking about girl stuff while we'd be out, you know, watching, you know, our sport. But Tua – and it never failed. Every month, one of the girls would just walk by and say, look at this stupid – oh, wait, who's that? Who's that? Yeah. Every month, you know, it would be a di- it wouldn't be never be the same one. It would be a different girl or a different girlfriend. That, well, um, I'm sorry, what's that guy's name again? Yeah, who's it? Who's yeah? Mm. yeah. Mm. And you and your mom had a thing for Kevin Nash for some reason. My mom had it for Randy Savage whenever I'd be watching him on a Saturday morning. And the key is, a, and my mom was well, just sir, out of very, sir, very attractive women. I don't know if you noticed this, mm-hmm. very attractive women really liked Macho Man. Yes. So that's yeah. a that's a compliment to your mama's taste and your mama. Yeah. She made such a great looking kid, so I you know. <laughs> but I, that always struck me as, as wild. She I would every Saturday afternoon she'd see me watching wrestling and she wouldn't care. But then just kinda like with the women with uh, Rocky Maivia, it's like, Oh, he is a fine looking man. Mm. And I'm, I'm excuse me? Macho Man Randy Savage. Ah, yep. I miss that guy. Yes. There's a guy I missed during these days. Mm-hmm. God, he had the best. He had the best, not best punches. Does that make sense? Like yeah. nobody in the world punches like that in a fight, but I bought it when he did. Yeah. I, I loved that guy. He and Hogan and, together were awesome. They were. Yeah, and no one could sell like Savage. Savage, that's another thing. No, a, no. A guy that really thought he was hurt. When he, and he could take a great clothesline. Every time he did it, every time that I thought he was actually hurt and he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Every time I was like, "Oh, he's hurt. He's not hurt." He's- and he would sell for older guys. He, the way he sold for George Steele. Care? Yeah, he yeah. didn't care. Macho Man and, got it. Yeah, and I. It's somewhere. I don't think it's on the WWE Network, but if you can find the match, and Nico, I'm, I'm talking to you, kind of. Of Randy. Randy Savage versus Bruno Sammartino in the Boston Garden. This is one of the times they brought Bruno back to uh, to pop the uh, the house because Hogan wasn't there. And the end of the match was Bruno had Savage in his bear hug. And he wouldn't break it. Referee couldn't break it. Called in another referee. He couldn't break it. Called in two more referees. They couldn't break it. Calling guys in from the locker room. Steve Lombardi, Steve King, S.D. Jones, they couldn't break it. So he had a whole schmaz of people, and by this time, Savage is on the ground, and Bruno won't let go, and no one can take him off. Savage had to be carried back to the dressing room, and no one could break Bruno's bear hug. <laughs> but Savage had to be helped back, and he sold for Bruno Sammartino in the Boston Garden like he was dead. It's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of ratings and looking forward, uh, looking forward to 2021. Ooh. Because, because goddamn F this year. Yeah. Uh, for a variety of reasons, obvious and not obvious, but uh, fuck it. Mm-hmm. I really hope 
And you know what? I don't need to preface this because I don't need. I, I listen to. I, I don't, I'm not making this political. I don't want to make it political this week. Hmm. We know. We know the deal, you and I. So does yeah. everybody else, whether they want to know it, you know, admit it or not. Uh, vaccines out. Vaccines get distributed. I do have a feeling by this time at the end of the year, by this time next year, if not full capacity, people will be able to start to your system going back to shows. And I really would like to see wrestling fans at wrestling shows again. More so because, you know, Butch versus Gore has plans. But yeah, I would also like wrestling. This these are just my wants out of wrestling. Mm-hmm. I would like wrestling to hold people accountable. We we talked about we we talked with Chris Kazama last week. Great interview. A lot of people watched. Very happy about that. Yeah. Um, and his solution was just beat the shit out of him and. I agree, but I would really like to see, you know, past social media hashtags. Like, you know what? You're a piece of trash. You need to do better and or get the F out. Right. Uh, and I would also like people to go back. My And I've been guilty of this. You've been guilty of this. We all have at one point of our wrestling fandom to stop giving a damn about the ratings and enjoy the show and stop crapping on others. For liking something you don't. Right. Basically, I just want the wrestling business to get better again. And the, the thing about the wrestling business, Dan, where it is now, it really has nowhere to go but up. I refuse to believe that it's going to keep its downward spiral. Obviously, what it's needed more than anything else, other than uh, cohesive storylines and building of uh, characters and actual wrestling matches that when, have wins mean something? Have injuries mean something? Have have uh, losses mean something? Uh, building up someone, you know, in a progressive way that makes us care about them. You know, they just announced on uh, Raw that in two weeks the legends are all coming back. Yeah, and Kurt Angle and, and Shawn Michaels and, 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 and whenever I hear that, it means that you that you're you're, you're current crop of superstars aren't cutting it. So you have to bring in everyone old to make you watch the show again. So you have people that left wrestling like, oh, I remember Kurt Angle. Oh, yeah, I remember Shawn Michaels. Let's watch this show. Because there's no one on today that, you know, that moves the dial for anyone. And what you're doing, you're setting your own people, your new guys up for failure. So if... I still say a lot of that is wrestling uh, is uh, not the wrestlers; it's bookers and and writers. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But 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 and and even even more so, if you're 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 you've got to be writing now for and I hate using the term writers for wrestling, but you've got to be planning. Okay. You've got to be planning for when the audience comes back. So when when the audience does come back, have full crowds during TV tapings. You can go on the road to different venues with people in there. They need something to look at because right now, I don't think you can run a show, you know, if you were giving away money with the current product that they have now. Other than the novelty of, oh, we can go to a match, but unless there's something to watch, or a character to care about, there's it's not going to. They lit a man on fire. 
Ah, how is that going to get people in the in in the arena? Well, no, I don't. Well, no, I, yeah. All this stuff is wasted on the fact that you can't. I say wasted. I don't mean in that way. You can't get anybody in the building, so it's not going to draw anybody. Yeah. Right now, you're just going for ratings. Um, which I still think the fans need to not worry about. Just enjoy the shows, watch it or yeah. don't watch it. You can discuss it, but well, the ratings are. Stop using ratings as a crux for your argument. Is what I'm saying. Ratings does not. Ratings is not in. in, in what's the word I'm looking for? In, indicate. It doesn't indicate quality. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. I know that most of the time it's correlation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Nico was mentioning the moment with the Undertaker. Whether you liked him or not, we talked about it then. We'll talk about it now. Shorter term, whether mm-hmm. you like him or not. That moment was wasted without fans in the arena, period. End of story. I don't agree that they should have done it without fans in the building. Unless he's going to die in the next six months that I'm not aware of. (laughs) No. That was pointless to me. I agree. I think every theatrical match they have is pointless. Um, But um, but that in particular with uh, Undertaker, especially bringing back everyone, you know, just for that one night in an empty building. I want fans to be able to see the Hurt Business run roughshod over everybody like they have been. I want Drew McIntyre to have his WrestleMania moment that was taken from him. Keep the belt on him. Yes. Until No questions asked. Until we get people back. I don't care you can have, if you only have 5,000. Yeah. Then do it. Mm-hmm. But wait. Please, I beg you, don't take this from him. I... I know ratings, again, somebody on Twitter, well, the ratings are bad. Yeah, no, 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 no. Kevin Nash, low ratings, too. He's the worst champion ever. I, there wasn't anything else on that show that was bad. It was all Kevin Nash. Um, sarcasm. Yeah. Drew McIntyre has proven he can hold it. So hold it. Yeah. Please. Mm-hmm. I beg of you. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a diamond champion. If, if CM Punk can hold the belt for more than a year – why can't Drew McIntyre? I don't know. Do it anyway. Yeah. Vince, just do it. Just do it, Nike. Exactly. Well, that being said, sir, it's been a good year. We did get Mark back. Screw we ratings. Did. Exactly, Nico. We did get Mark back, and he will be back uh, after the new year. He uh, He's on a special assignment. <laughs> Keep it yeah. like that. I'm not going yeah. to uh, special assignment. None of not your goddamn elaborate. business. He needs yeah. a break. Uh, but uh, thank you, as always, for hanging by. Uh, we're not done for the year. Wrestling is. The wrestling show. The thing is, I never, ever liked or liked Drew Brackentire. Well, not for everybody. I not never really everybody. liked. I never, ever liked The Undertaker. And I, and I never, ever liked Hulk Hogan, so honest to God. The only time I liked Hulk Hogan is when he was Hollywood. Yeah. That's when everyone started to like him. That's you know? when those promos worked because uh, the promos suck. Sorry, yeah. the promos suck. Uh, and they worked when he was a bad guy because they sucked in that way where he was just a sar- sarcastic. My shit don't stink. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. It's, that's when those pre- those were the worst. Finally, became when he became Hollywood. It became cool. Now I don't have to hide my hatred for him. Now, yes. all the people that hated him before <sighs> the, the red and yellow and the say your prayers and eat your vitamins. But now I can. Now I have. Now I can. I can hate I, him for real. Again, retrospective. I, I crap on him a lot about his in ring ability because you know I'm a wrestler. <laughs> um, I'm self aware, folks. Trust me. Um, I just didn't like him. However, when you go back, you're like, man, listen to that. 
listen yeah. to that. There's nothing to argue about that. Mm-mm. That's it. Yeah, it's just not for you, Nico. Exactly. No. But that that's one of the things I'm talking about to get the fans back. We just talked about, you know, the heat that Hulk Hogan got, the heat that the, the Freebirds got yeah. just from a, a simple cage door spot. Yeah. And it carried the that entire company for more than a year and a half just on on two teams getting a heat like that is so effing easy as long as you make it mean apparently not (laughs) i know apparently not apparently it's impossible to get heat on somebody or for to keep heat on somebody because i look at an AEW match and people are kicking out of you know swan tom dives off of uh off the top rope and you know getting hit with metal objects and kicking out of absolutely everything so finisher maneuvers mean nothing and uh everyone does a dive out of the top off you know through the ropes every match has a dive in aew everyone whereas if one person did it one time aka great muda then it's a big deal because that guy did it you know i know i like that guy he does the dive out of the top he does a dive on the top rope Everyone does it. Who gives a crap? See, see, AEW. Uh, Nico likes AEW. See, for, for yeah, for people who like that kind of thing, those are the kind of things those people like. Um, <laughs> but but he said, but it is true. And then he then he tacked on, but it is true. <laughs> yeah, Craig tells a lot of things, but a lie is not one of them. No, no. Yeah, um, about back on Hulk Hogan again, and I'm mentioning mm-hmm. this more because Nico and other people I see in here um, might be younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate Hollywood, but or I hate Hulk. Love Hollywood. Mm-hmm. One of the best moments, and it's it's during a SE time. Why am I editing that shit word? Shitty <laughs> time in WCW, mm-hmm. uh, Feb- uh, February, March '99. Mm-hmm. Flair and Hogan switch face and heel in the middle of the ring, in the middle mm-hmm. of a match before for Rock and Hogan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flair and Hogan did it. Yeah, and it's in a cage match. <laughs> And, and Flair's doing his I'm bleeding buckets of blood thing. Then Hogan bleeds buckets of blood. And it's the first time he had hulked up since turning heel in 96. And that place went nuts. And that yeah. moment is amazing. Mm-hmm. Storytelling. Or you listen to the fans. You know, We could argue the storytelling was bad, but like when you watch it back and you binge it, it's like, oh no. Like, my final point, it, I compare it to the finger poke of doom. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not a great story. When you read it and you don't listen, watch it together, you're like, yeah, it's stupid. That's a bad idea. Going back and watching it, they telegraphed it, not how it was going to end, but they telegraphed that a month ahead of time. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. When you rewatch it, it's like, oh. Should have known that was coming. <laughs> I should have known that okay. was coming. Damn it! They got me. I'm gonna give you this one thing, and I'll 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 leave it at this. Uh, as far as storytelling or making something mean something, yeah. Jerry Lawler, greatest wrestler in the history of Memphis. You know why he got over as a heel and it got over as a face? Because he was actually a jerk off. A simple chain. Oh, that's right. A three inch chain that he would take out of his tights and wrap around his hand. Okay, he would hit his opponent with it. The opponent would be down, knocked out cold, do a stretcher job, do a blade job. Amazing. Yeah. 
got whether he's a heel or a face, whoever got hit comes back on TV the next week, swear my revenge on you, Lawler, because of that chain. That's good for another three months of feuding of uh of culminating in a cage match. Yeah. What happens now is someone will take a chain, hit somebody, and then and we'll go down, sell it. But then a hardcore match will take the same chain and hit the same guy fifty seven times with it. And that's just the first five seconds of the match. And that's just first five seconds of the match. But one chain, one punch, done. Goes over. And you and Jerry, but he did that. And when someone used the cha- the chain on Lawler to have him lose his Southern Heavyweight Championship thirty eight times, um, and he needed to get he needed to regain it because I've never I've hit many people with chain, but no one's ever hit me with a chain. And so Monday night in Memphis sold out Mid South Coliseum Lawler's Revenge from one chain, one chain. One chain. And Nico just said, that's crazy. Exactly. Different. Yeah. That's true. With that being said, this is it for the year. We are not, the wrestling is done. We are not done. Because next week, one last nerd herder before we go into 2021. Mm -hmm. Craig, where can people follow you? They can follow me. If you haven't followed me all year, or if you're just jumping on the bandwagon now, (laughs) welcome aboard. Plenty of room. Especially if you like the one, two, three, four, five, sixers. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Craig Lagon, C R A I G L I G G E O N S. Follow me on all social media platforms, DanLaw83, on Twitch, if you're watching that now anyway, and YouTube, DanLaw83. The VOC Nation radio network is at VOCNation.com if you have a smartphone. Go to the podcast app, type in VOC Nation Radio Network. Follow all the shows there. And of course, listen to ours. Again, ratings. Don't talk about them, just give me them. <laughs> for Craig Lagans, I'm the above average comedian, Dan Kalchiko. We'll see you next week for Nerd Her- Herders. Easy for you to say. God damn it. Good night. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Works, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show, and recent guests have included... General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter 
at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We've excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.